Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. I hope you're having an awesome day so far. I wanted to start this stream the same way I start all of these little all of these little gender streams and do my little HRT check-in. So I have fewer things to check in about than I did in the very beginning of starting HRT. Right now I am one day away from being two months on testosterone and the most noticeable change that I have lately is I'm getting a lot of peach fuzz growing in right here and like on my cheeks right here, which is really cool, which I really have been enjoying. The tickle in my throat seems to have gone away, so maybe my voice is dropping, but it it's less dramatic feeling to my body. And I guess the other piece is there's been a lot of tired and sleeping a lot, but I also a week and a quarter, week and a half maybe now ago, had my second COVID shot. So that's probably been contributing to the sleepiness, but I think my brain has just been having to repattern and re everything. <laughs> so that takes some sleep to recover from. Yeah. So in just a moment, I'm going to switch over to our interview with the wonderful Gumhaven, but welcome everyone. Thanks for coming into chat. It's great to see all of you. I see a lot of familiar usernames here. Instead of calling you all out individually, I'm just gonna start the show because I'm excited and I want to have as much time with Gum as possible. Hello, Gum. Hello. So everyone, welcome to Genderful. With Gender Meowster, our guest today is Gumhaven, who uses she, her pronouns. Gumhaven is a fellow streamer here on the Twitch platform. Gum, will you share with us how you self-identify or self your little blurb that you do? That can line, that can line. <laughs> self-identify, <laughs> professional artist. That that part is true. I am a professional artist. I have a degree. I'm getting a second one. Uh, a trash <laughs> gamer and an absolute degenerate. Um, <laughs> hi, it's wonderful to meet you all. I love it. I love it so much. Welcome here. I There's one other thing that I'm wanting to say at the, the beginning of the shows, which is just a, a general note that no one person is a monolith of their identities. So just because we have uh, a trans person speaking or an artist speaking, that doesn't mean all artists and all trans people feel the same. So that's sure. I just want to say that at the beginning of every show, because part of the purpose of doing this talk show is so people can hear the diverse and broad perspectives of the different many splendid gendered beings in the world. And yeah, so there you go. There's the thing. Wonderful. <laughs> Welcome, Gum. It's so wonderful to have you here. So I first it's met you. Mm -hmm. uh, you were doing a talk show like this with Marina Boo Woo. Wonderful streamer as well. Yes. I'll give her a shout out right now. And y'all had a lovely hour long conversation. And I was just like, dang, I want more of that content. So that I like hung out and vibed in your chat, probably more than Marina's chat, that whole thing. Yeah, and it's it just been so lovely, lovely catching each other's. Absolutely. It's been super fun. Yeah, that was the first, that was the first kind of thing like that I did. So when you approached me asking to do this, I was like, oh my gosh, absolutely. That sounds like so much fun. 
So, will you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I I know some things, but some of our viewers may oh, not. Sure. Let me let me share with. I've already shared enough on on Twitch. I might as well just fully expose uh, everything about myself. No. Um, I am. I go by Gum on the internet. I am a professional artist. I graduated with a bachelor's degree about a year and a half back, and um, in the process of applying for a master's, the big world-changing event happened and I was like maybe maybe I hold off for a little bit so I started Twitch and with the help of some really cool wonderful people I was able to put a stream together where I could do art and play games and just hang around with other like queer folks and like-minded people and just create a little haven for people to hang out and vibe and just feel like they could be themselves and that's always been my goal with streaming is to to speak to is to speak to the important things where it's important to do and to also be able to just vibe and, and have a have a really chill place to hang out without having to worry about anyone making you uncomfortable or or worse. And I just spaces like that on the internet can be hard to come by. So making another one of them was definitely important to me. I definitely get the Haven vibe from your space when I've hung out in your streams. It's so nice. I've enjoyed interacting with your moderators, not in a there's been a problem way, but just in general talking to folks. And yeah, I love that people can vibe and lurk and watch you do art or say funny things and have a little bit of repartee and exchange with you. I've seen you do not only like really stunningly beautiful art streams, but also you do Jackbox and other video games yeah. as well. And it's just been really cool to see the variety of things that you do. I have always loved doing art. I started streaming because I was like, oh, like I'm doing art and I'm either I'm, I'm at my partner's place or I'm at home and I'm just vibing on my own. And part of the, re the reason that I loved being in school so much was I was around so many wonderful, cool, talented people. And I was like, oh, Twitch gives me the opportunity to be around like lovely, wonderful, talented people and just to have some company while doing stuff. And then it just became like a place to hang out, play video games and do all kinds of things. And just it became like a, a community, which was really lovely. Yeah, totally. I love that. It's really cool that you are working towards getting a master's. What may I ask what your can you be more specific about your other degree in art? Oh, yeah, it was a Bachelor's of Fine Arts. The major was painting. I'm intending on going back and I'm applying this fall uh, or winter should all go well. And also applying for a master's uh, in fine arts in painting or new media, which is essentially just a little bit more freeing, a little bit more digital oriented, uh, because I have started to integrate a lot of digital content into my work. But yeah, it's I and I fully intend to while I'm going for that degree to stream a lot of the stuff I'm doing there too because I think it's just super wonderful to be able to share the content I'm doing which more often than not is like queer focused art with people I think that's so fun so cool I love that cool yeah I my two degrees are in religion <laughs> comparative yeah, religion so for though. undergrad and then uh -huh. I was going to get an MDiv but then I like changed religions uh -huh partway through my master's so I switched to a master's in theological studies because that's the only degree I could get out of there with only two years you know religion is super interesting and as a queer person dealing with religion it is it can be very complicated but it can also be very uh freeing to find your own place in it if that's something that you choose to participate in you know totally yeah I love it okay Let's see, what questions do we have? So as a side note for the, the folks here in the chat, if you have any questions, you can type them in the stream chat and the moderators will 
filter them for us and plunk them in the lovely document that Gum and I are working off of for our conversation today. Can't promise you we'll get to it, but you can certainly try. (laughs) Okay, so let's see. Is there anything else you want to share and tell us a little about yourself type question? Oh, gosh. Um, Yeah, I think that's pretty solid. My life has been pretty uh, bare in these past couple years. I know I'm super into literature. As far as video games go, I'd say RPGs probably. RPGs probably the go-to. I love Dungeons and Dragons. Been trying to get a game together forever, trying to DM a game forever, but that's a whole complicated thing. I'm sure better Mm -hmm. than a lot of people how difficult it is to get a game together sometimes. Do we actually have one shots here every Wednesday? If you ever want to run, that's that's so cool. (laughs) Your stream is so cool. Yeah, no, I've been reading. Your stream um, is so cool. I, I just started both. Native Son by Richard Wright, uh, okay. which is a super solid book. If anyone's looking for book recommendations, that I'm very much enjoying myself with that one. I think that about covers it. Cool. So if you feel comfortable talking about it, I wonder how has your relationship to gender evolved over time? As yeah. trans people, obviously, that's a revolving understanding as our lives of have Of course. I'd say that as far as... My relationship with gender. I guess we start at the beginning, right? It's a very good place to start. So I, when I was really young, I definitely was like, flamboyant's not even the right word, but I was just never particularly concerned with gender or gendered things. Uh, Certain members of my family were, but that sort of resolved itself as time went on in one way or another. But I was just, yeah, I was never particularly concerned with, with gender growing up. And then as I, I, I came out initially as like gay, quote unquote, when I was 12, I think, which was very early. And I, I I grew up in New York City, so it was never a huge concern for me. I had a pretty accepting environment around me, especially at that point, when I'd got to that point, any sort of negative vibes had been pretty much dissipated by then as far as like family or, or close friends were concerned. And then I think I just went along ignoring sort of dysphoria that started to crop up once puberty happened until like I was 17 I want to say or 16 when I found out that being non-binary was a thing I was like oh that's that seems like something that could be cool and I'm definitely experiencing dysphoria and I'm uncomfortable right now so maybe this is a thing I'll try so I tried it out amongst close friends and it felt good. I started out using he, they pronouns and then they, them. And then I went into to college and, and started uh, college identifying as non-binary and testing that out And art school. Not exactly the most conservative place in the world. <laughs> Definitely a pretty open environment. It's true. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was, I was allowed to do whatever I want. I went to, I, and I know it's, I, I have issues with this like sort of uh, pop culture item as well or, or a moment but I went to Rocky Horror which was like a super positive experience I like tried out makeup for the first time I was like oh this is cool I'm dipping my toes into things I also went to Rocky Horror in college yeah it was I mean it was just <laughs> like all the queers went and hung out and just were able to be themselves and vibe and it was just like a really good place and moment for me and then when I was 19, I met uh, a close friend of mine who is trans. And this person showed me that was an option that like actually going through with medical transition was okay. Was There was rational human beings who did it. It wasn't just what pop culture would show of tragic sort of 
horror stories or actual like Silence of the Lambs types horror stories. They're real life, happy, adjusted. Like, in fact, are you most or if not all just well adjusted people, just human beings. And I was like, oh, I like desperately want this for myself. And so I just started hormones at 19 and moved forward. I um, had top and bottom surgery at 21 and 22. Oh, wow. How yeah. long did you have to wait for those surgeries? Because I know my wife had to wait at least a year. Yeah, it was about a year and a half. I started setting it up when I was 19 or 20 and then had the surgery done at 21 and then 22. And my relationship with gender has mellowed. I definitely only use she, her pronouns and consider myself to most degrees a girl, but there is stuff about non-binary identity that I still identify with. I definitely sometimes feel just like more of an absence of gender and, and then sometimes it'll lean more towards feminine or, or being a girl. And it's just comfortable in that range. But I have found that given A, the fact that I, I do deal with dysphoria and B, the fact that I do use she, her pronouns exclusively, that it's just easiest to outwardly present to a lot of cis people as a trans woman, which has been, I, and I do identify with that label to a degree as well. I, I won't claim that I'm, I'm not a trans woman if anyone asks, because I think that label fits to a degree, but I don't know, there's more complexity and nuance that I think can be found when you're around other queer and trans people. Mm -hmm. I've definitely found myself more able to relax and be less like concerned about cis people's perceptions of me and that's, I'm 23 now that's where I'm at <laughs> so would you say that you are a non-binary trans feminine person yeah I think that's solid but honestly again I'd, I'd go with a trans woman I'd go with non-binary I've become a lot less concerned with that particular kind of label as I've toned or not toned down but tapered off on on any like major medical related actions that I, I want to take I've been on hormones for four and a half years I, I found myself enjoying labels less and less in the context of being around other queer people and just as long as my pronouns are respected and it's she her all the way then I'm like and I don't want to be referred to as a guy if, if I would get referred to as like a girl that's wonderful I'm typically more tense about labels when I feel like I'm in a situation where I'm maybe less not even less comfortable with the people that I'm around but but I, I feel like they might know less or be less tuned into queer spaces sure yeah oh that's so cool I love that story. I haven't heard that whole story before. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah, of course. I want to jump to a question that Hexagonal asked, and Hexagonal uh -huh. was actually a guest here on the show about three episodes ago. So if anyone is interested in oh, hearing wonderful. that whole interview, the VOD They're is so on YouTube. That might Hell be yeah. Interesting. Yeah. One day this will also all be a podcast. I just need to get my act together and I haven't. <laughs> so it happens I when you change your name on things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a whole rebrand, right? No, I, I'd love to start a podcast, too. I think I, I, I think most of the, the, the gays I know want to start a podcast. <laughs> yeah. This essentially is I already have one podcast yeah. and it's all tabletop stuff. And so, so essentially cool. this is the podcast recording. It's just I got to edit it. We'll get there. Oh, yeah. Day. This is phenomenal. I, the, what you're doing is so cool. I, I love this. It's super fun. If you run into any other like queer streamers that can talk about gender in an educated mm -hmm. way and some other topic and the 
Yeah. The meshing and correspondences thereof. Please send them my way. Of course. So Hexagonal asks, I know this is a sensitive question, so feel free not to answer. Do or did you know what you wanted your body to look like? How did you figure that out? Yeah, that's a tough one. You're totally allowed to answer or not that question. Any question you can say, I don't feel comfortable discussing that or I don't Um, actually know the answer. I guess I'd say a lot of what triggered my like actual medical transition was gender dysphoria. And I definitely found that the dysphoria that I had started to manifest around puberty. I definitely... It wasn't even like looking at, I know some people find looking at like certain media or or people in the media helps them figure out how they want to look. But for me, it was just looking in the mirror and feeling like something was like incongruent or something was just like not comfortable and just always wanting to cover up. And I was very hesitant to start hormones. I was very nervous and I started on a very low dose. I was just very cautious because I... I I didn't know if it was something I wanted. I didn't know if I'd like what would happen. Mm -hmm. But the longer I was on it, the more comfortable I got and the the more steps I took. And then I tried just using she, her pronouns and presenting much more femininely in classes and school and art school was a great testing ground for that. Yeah. To see if the pronouns made me happy and if the way people referred to me or saw me made me happy. And then I came, so I came out at work Uh, I was working in a restaurant at the time that is now closed, but I was a wild child through a lot of my youth. And this was just, I still look back at this and I'm like, what was I thinking? I'd been at work presenting just totally, and I wouldn't say masculine because I don't think I've ever really been masculine, (laughs) but presenting like a boy, whatever, like a cis dude. And one day I just came in dressed how I wanted to be dressed and with makeup on. And I was like, okay, this is me. Hi. And I just went into work and didn't say anything to anyone and just did it. And and it went surprisingly well. There were definitely, a restaurant is full of, I don't know if anyone here has ever worked in a restaurant, but there are definitely some characters and there's a, there's definitely like, Uh, toxic masculinity in certain parts of it. And that was something that I definitely had to deal with. But yeah, I just went in and the restaurant I was working at was in a very queer neighborhood. So generally it it was just, it just happened. And and then after that, I like decided on surgery and I went back and forth over it for a while. And it was just taking it step by step and Mm -hmm. seeing what made me feel good and what made me feel comfortable. And once I, I think it was really the, like I started hormones and I started noticing that I liked what was happening and that I moved forward a little bit more on that. And I think after that, it just started snowballing and me realizing that I knew how I wanted my body to look and it was what was happening. And I think that's good advice for anyone who is seriously considering medical transition is like, if you're able to get on hormones, start those at a low dose, see if you like what's happening. If you don't like what's happening, if you don't, you can stop. And there won't really, there's hardly any changes that happen from, from starting hormones just a little bit and noticing a couple changes and then stopping generally that doesn't cause any real lasting stuff. It's more being on it for extended periods of time. I I think that if you're trying to figure out how you want your body to look, uh, just notice what makes you uncomfortable, which isn't hard. If you have dysphoria, it's not hard. And then just work from there and, and try and make little tweaks and don't go all the way in on it if you're very much unsure just be and just more than anything even if that you want to do it just be gentle to yourself the stuff takes time afford yourself the grace to 
to mature into everything. You didn't go through the first puberty went through if you went through it in a month. You can't expect this to happen in a similar amount of time, regardless of if you even just know this is what I want. Yeah. And then I'm still deciding if FFS is something that's in my future. Facial feminization surgery. Really? You haven't had that yet. No, Your face I, looks very feminine to me. You didn't ask for my opinion. but No, yeah. but no, I appreciate that. I, it's something that I, I've definitely considered because I definitely do still experience dysphoria around that. And I, I think the, the real thing about that is is money and, and finding the right person. And that's off in the future. But yeah. I was definitely lucky with starting hormones. Essentially, like I, I, I was 19, but I had just turned 19 and I was already a late bloomer. So I was still in the tail end of the first puberty. Sure. So I was able to, I think, avoid some like more changes that would have occurred later down the line. Yeah. Talking. One of the things that we've talked about is the importance of giving puberty blockers to trans Mm -hmm. youth, because even if the trans youth later decide that they're cis, they just have the same puberty. It's just delayed by however long they were Mm -hmm. on the blockers. And it just it halts the in some cases, irreversible changes, like in the case of trans yeah. women, that you're the size of your body, how tall you are, how broad your shoulders are, all of that. My wife calls it testosterone poisoning that can yeah. happen. And yeah, I, I think it's really cool that you got to start HRT at such a young age. Yeah, there are definitely still things that I'm uncomfortable with just to shout. Like I'm the size of my shoulders definitely makes me a little uncomfortable sometimes. Uh, the shape of, of my body occasionally will make me uncomfortable, even though I feel like HRT has done a lot with fat redistribution and things. I'm definitely lucky. I'm, I'm relatively short. I'm 5'4", I'm 5'5". Five five. So I, that, that was definitely something that, and that's just family. That's just everyone in my family is short. But yeah, there's definitely is a lot to be said for getting kids access to puberty blockers, which don't have any lasting effects. If you mm-hmm. go off them, you just go through puberty. There's yep. nothing if you're, if eh, that's a different discussion, but <laughs> that's a different discussion, but getting people who want them access to puberty blockers just to try them out. That's important. That's definitely important. And I think as we get through this reintroduction really of trans people into Western canon, we'll start to see things like that slowly become more common provided we see some changes in, in political direction and fast but that's also another discussion entirely it totally is one one of the things that i think in general is helpful to trans people and i'm using trans as a broad term i'm using trans to include non-binary gender fluid demi boy demi girl Mm -hmm. type folks all of that one of the things that i think can really help is to have media that represents us so Mm -hmm. i want to pivot our focus a little bit on the art stuff because that's something you know that not every trans person knows stuff about so Mm -hmm. can you tell us more about like gender and art and i don't know yeah as far as media goes definitely there's two sort of conversations to be had there's representation in media which is super important and more concerns like accessibility in 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 the art world in terms of like i suppose what would be called like low art which is i just don't have any other term for it uh like comics or television or like films blockbusters that kind of thing and then there's representation in terms of 
the field that I'm definitely a little bit more familiar with, which involves like fine art, art house movies and gallery work and, and art schools and professorships and museum shows. And those are two very different conversations, both of which I'd say more trans representation is necessary in, in both of those sort of circles. But I do think there is a distinct importance in terms of media that is accessible to the general public, that there need to be more positive trans representations. And when it comes to trans masculine people, more representations at all. I agree with that. I'm trying to you be know, the I representation about... I need to see in the world. Absolutely. <laughs> but no, I, like growing up, I talked about this. My, my understanding of trans people was like Law and Order, Silence of the Lambs, Ace Ventura. It was just not good. Yeah. And even like Rocky yeah. Horror is like fun, important, yeah. but like ugh, a little sketch. We need trans you know, heroes, not just trans villains. We need trans joy, not just yeah. trans pain. And, and in general, like the fact that Disney queer coded like most of their villains, like just there's like a lot that went into making queer people yeah. and queer traits aligned with just besides just deeply othering trans people, but also just like turning that into a thing you did not want to be like a warning sign yeah. and like or a, totally. a tale of caution. Yeah. I do think there's a lot of good stuff out there now. Um, there definitely needs to be more, but I've, I've noticed a lot more trans characters in popular media, even in terms of what Steven Universe comes to mind. I think a lot of queer people know about that and like the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Like, there's lots of fun, popcorn-y type media that, that has trans representation now to a degree, mm-hmm. but there definitely needs to be more. There, it's I'm still having to hunt stuff out. It's not like I've ever just happened upon trans representation. I've usually sought it out. Yeah. There's a new trans documentary that came out on a popular streaming platform in the last couple of months. Mm -hmm. And I only got about 30 minutes in until I had to turn it off because it was like 20 minutes into the show before I saw any trans man or trans masculine non-binary type people. And it was just... It was a lot. There was also a lot of like pain and trauma. And I was like, oh, God, we have these like huge name recognizable trans people in this like documentary thing. And it's just like, where's the joy? Maybe it's at the end. I haven't watched it to the end because I just my soul got so crushed by the first 30 minutes. I was like, I just can't break. Anyway, that's a mood. No, I was thinking about Pose recently. And that's been something that that has had some definite joy to it and told stories that needed to be told. But, and yeah, there's definitely, there, there, there are stories out there, but they're definitely hard to come by at times. And then just as far as fine art's concerned, mm-hmm. I think so much of that canon has been told by not only like cis people or straight people, but by just cisgendered heterosexual white men. And I, I found it interesting being trans in those spaces because in some sense I've definitely felt as though there's more solidarity amongst just like everyone that's not an older straight white man yeah. because there's just <clears throat> everyone's trying to push for progression that just hasn't really been there but I also do find like looking at art of trans people or by trans people that has become popular in the uh, fine art world a lot of it is not done by trans people one piece in particular that sticks out is by jenny seville who is a a very talented painter her work is beautiful and i think that she has done some wonderful things and and granted this was either in the 90s or the early 2000s but there was a painting of a trans body that she did that was 
definitely leaning towards being sexualized in an uncomfortable way. And the description was not something we'd use today. And I think that a lot of that is a product of her time. I don't hold that against her at all. But I do think that the fact that there are just in in the more prominent canon that, that isn't up and coming artists that are, there's definitely a lot more LGBT artists coming forward currently and, and starting to make names for themselves. But the fact that the art canon up until the 2000s, early 2000s, had just non-existent trans representation. It was definitely troubling coming into that world and seeing like one of a couple of the only examples mm -hmm. of trans representation in that world being A, not told by trans people and B, just like not of the best fetishistic, just straight up, just like fetishistic. And that's not to say that there haven't been trans artists in the past and, and who haven't made marks on the canon, but they're definitely you have to go digging and i'm very grateful to see and very happy to see a lot more people telling trans stories in the worlds of fine art that i'm in and, and i'm very happy to be one of those people I, I feel among good company and i think over the past 10 15 years it's starting to become a more and more common thing as is true of society as well there's slowly becoming more prominence with trans folks and i think that's very important hear me says in the chat i don't know if this has been your experience but moving in some of the fine art world sometimes, I found there's been some weird gatekeepy things folks say and do. Yeah, I I don't know if I found as many gatekeepy things. I, I will say I've noticed that sometimes. What's a good way of putting this? My boyfriend talks about this with me sometimes. That there often is an expectation of marginalized people to perform for the majority, be they white people, cis people, to perform pain. Yeah. To assuage some societal, cultural guilt. And I think that is a difficult line to walk because as a trans person, and as a trans person who wants to make art about queer experience, for the most part, and I have other interests and investigations that, that occur in my practice, but you want to be able to make work that involves your identity, if that's of interest to you, but you don't want to be, A, be pigeonholed into that, and B, you don't want to have to tell these stories and narratives and make this work that is like essentially trauma porn to, again, assuage some kind of guilt. And I've noticed that a lot of times that's what is expected of you if you are a marginalized artist. And <clears throat> that I think is adjacent to gatekeepy stuff, but I haven't noticed any like directly, like you're not X, Y, Z enough to make art about X, Y, Z. I, I can't say I personally have noticed that. Rumpelstiltskin, who I've heard that you two have been grooving on each other's streams lately. Uh, yeah. Rem, Rem is a trans man art, uh -huh. traditional art streamer. Uh -huh. Rem asks, how do I make queer and trans art without performing pain is a question I struggle with all the time. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, what I've come to find, at least in my own work, is that it's very important to, it's very important, a couple of things. For me personally, it's important that I don't just make art that's, I am trans, this is art that is me being trans, this is just, I am trans and that is the art, which can absolutely be extremely therapeutic, but 
I think is a little bit one note and can potentially lead to falling into sort of accidentally performing, just putting yourself out there in a way that is a little bit unnecessary and kind of gauche. And then beyond that, I think that I found I found it important to do more investigations outside of just myself into the queer community, into queer history, into current events, into concepts. I've been reading a lot of philosophy lately and, and making work that ties into other fields has been a really nice way for me to make concentrated pieces or suites of work that I feel like are less intrinsically tied towards my personal history and baggage. Yeah. Am I distracting you by writing questions down? <laughs> oh, no, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. No, I noticed Capybara was asking about voice. Yes. So Trans Capybara's question is, I love your voice and I've been working on my own. I'd love to hear how you went about training your voice to sound how you do today, only if the topic lends itself to the question. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Definitely. Huh. I'm uncomfortable. I'll be, I'm uncomfortable with my own voice uh, more often than not. I, it's something I definitely still experience dysphoria around, but I will say I just spent a lot of time practicing talking how I wanted to talk, to speak how I wanted to speak. And I suppose this is not necessarily a, a super productive answer, but I was, I spent a lot of time serving tables uh, during college and hosting restaurants. And a lot of that just involves speaking over and over again in a very specific customer service voice. Just, hi, welcome to your order. Would you like sparkling or still? Can we get you started with some bread? Just like the general you listed off and doing that so often yeah. provided opportunity to practice. And I would say if there are any areas of your life where you are just going through and interacting with either strangers or you're just talking or live streaming, very mm -hmm. good for that. Just so you can just go through over and over again, make little tweaks. And occasionally it might sound weird to viewers or it might sound strange. Generally, you're not going to interact with a lot of these people again. Or even if you do, like it's it's people who aren't really going to notice or, or be like, huh, what was that? The kind of anonymity of that lent itself well to practicing. And I guess I, I like watched a couple of voice training videos, but for the most part, I just tried to pitch my voice up and then change like the resonance and how I spoke. And I, I actually, this is a weird, silly little thing, but answering machine voice, I, I just listened to that and I tried to copy it because that's like such a soothing tone that I like wanted to replicate. Just at the tone, please record your voice message. When you finish recording, you may hang up or press one for more options. That, that vibe. <laughs> like, I was just, I, honestly, I just like, practiced that a lot. I noticed, like, I did that one time as, like, a joke for, for a friend. And they were like, oh, my gosh, your voice sounded, like, just like hers. And I was like, you mean it sounded feminine? <laughs> so I just, my little gremlin brain was like, all right, let me just do that. Everyone yeah. in chat is swooning over your voicemail voice. Oh, God. Not in a creepy way, just in an impressed way. But yeah, finding things that have voice tones that you like and trying to practice them or finding places where you can try your voice out over and over again in different contexts, I think could be a really nice way to go about it. And as far as like actual voice training tips, I, I didn't necessarily take lessons or anything. So I don't have a lot of those, unfortunately. It was just like a constant thing over years of just 
training my voice. And it's something I still do because again, I still have some dysphoria around how I sound. Yeah. Speaking of dysphoria, I wonder if you have done self-portraits ever. I think I know at least there's an answer of at least one time you have because that's your logo <laughs> on the screen up over there. But how did you ever do self-portraits like at different points in your evolution as a trans person? And how was that? Did you totally avoid it really hard at a certain point because of reasons? Mm -hmm. Like, can you tell, can you I tell definitely, us about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I, so I've been doing art since I was very young. I took the, the in, I grew up in New York City and there was the Art Students League of New York in Manhattan had some like really affordable classes. We, I, my family was not very well off for quite a while. And when we started to get a little bit more comfortable, my mom found these this great deal for art classes at the Art Students League where you could just go and sit and draw models. And that was something I did for a while and that got me into art. And then beyond that, I, I, I would draw models and, and practice that. And then I would practice self-portraits at home when I was younger. Like I started doing that at like probably 12 and just onward. I, I, I did all of that kind of thing. I did pre-college at Cooper Union, which is an art school in New York and did a lot of self-portraits there while I was out as queer and playing with the idea of non-binary identity. In the beginning of college, I did a, a ton of them as I was doing it's still experimenting a little bit, but once I actually decided to transition, I did a lot less self-portraits of where I was at. And I think that had a lot to do with dysphoria and just like not being comfortable looking straight at myself sure. for a long period of time. What I will say is that this painting behind me is of me just as a younger person. And that was something that I found oddly therapeutic at the time was to do art of myself before I had started transitioning because I knew I didn't look like that anymore just by virtue of even if I don't think if I didn't think at the time that I passed or that I which again no one should feel like they need to passing is another thing but entirely but it was a way to distance myself I think from it was a way to distance myself from my past and and to reflect upon it and to create some space there and made me feel like I had been progressing more. And those self-portraits were nice. And then since then, a lot of the art that I've done that's been representational has been focused on, that's been, I suppose, figurative, has been of people around me that are close to me and less, less focused directly on myself. I've also done some studies of historical work and as well as just using figure references that I either paid for or found for free online to create work that, you know, was a little bit more focused on a figure as opposed to an identity, like a person behind it. And then a lot of it also just leaned into abstraction after a while. So it became, I became less of concerned with directly um, representing myself. Mirami asked, do you have anywhere we could view your work? I knew this was going to come up and I, I should have a solution for this, but I don't. So Just go follow your Twitch channel. And the short answer is go follow me on Twitch <laughs> and I will be making work on there. Um, so my Twitter, I, I post stuff there sometimes. The thing is, I do try to keep distance between my outward facing identity on Twitch and my professional practice as an artist. Yep. You are mm -hmm. not the only artist who I know is walking that line. Yeah, it's just, especially in fine art, I, I working so much in the Twitch realm and, and, and in what is essentially like commercial art and illustration and all of that kind of thing. I 
definitely want to maintain distance, especially because I'm doing interviews soon for things. I just don't, I would rather these worlds not cross if they don't have to right now. However, I do very frequently show the work that I do on stream. And in fact, if you stick around until this ends on my stream, I'll probably do because I'm assuming we'll have some new friends over. I'll have, I'll be showing some work there. And that way you could see some of the stuff that I do and I could share it without uh, doxing myself. So that's a quick solution. Yeah, it's very important not to dox yourself as a trans person on the internet yeah. with the word trans around your name anywhere. So yeah. I, I have deep understanding and respect for that. I also work on that. Yeah. Okay. Are there any trans, and again, that's the expansive definition of trans, artists that you think would be cool to look up or check out? Oh, for sure. Hang on. Let me I see. I have a horrible memory, so I do keep a lot of playlists. Um, and uh, as a side note for the folks watching the stream, when this is a well, while well, Gum is looking this up, I my notes from this chat are going to be in the video description of the of the stream. So you will be able to see this list written out if Gum can send it to me digitally somehow, if you're comfortable sharing that so that you yeah, can of course. go check people out and do all of that. Video game architect agrees. It's such a tough line to walk. I've considered doing a professional art service on Twitch for a while. It's, yeah, it's a thing. I mean, it's I totally part of the reason I just don't do commissions on anywhere because I just would rather not have a professional identity attached to Twitch in terms of like actually making commissioned artwork when I'm going to be selling gallery work that invariably will have a different way of pricing and a different market and to have other work attached to my name that will, you know, probably sell for much less and uh, just service different markets is just not a, a smart move for me as a, as a professional in the industry. I appreciate the nuance you have in mind considering all these things. Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough line to walk, huh? I'm going through this list. I'm not seeing a lot of explicitly trans artists. I'm seeing some queer artists, but I can definitely go over to Instagram and pull up some people as well. But I'd say Wickerham and Lomax are a uh, queer couple duo that I love dearly. I've met, I've attended some of their lectures. I've gotten some drinks with them before. They're super lovely people, super talented. And they're, they're Wickerham and Lomax. I can type it into the chat if that's helpful. And where can people Whoops. find their uh, website? Uh, you can find that. Let me type their website in. But Wiggerham and Lomax, wonderful people, wonderful art. Would definitely recommend checking them out. Let's go over to Instagram and see who else I can pull off the top. Now that I know what it is, I'm like, yeah, people are following gum. That's red. <laughs> oh. Cassidy Yearly is someone who uh, is trans and a, a recent grad of SAIC, School of the Art Institute of Chicago, uh, that makes wonderful work. They're phenomenal. I'll have to go through. I can put a list together and post it after this ends, if that's helpful. Um, cool. Yeah. That would be I'm awesome. sorry. I wish I had, I wish I had more, but I, I really, I didn't have a, a, I thought I had more on that list and, and really there were less than I expected. That's okay. It's a part of why we're doing this is to educate people about this deficit and to talk about it. Absolutely. So I want to take this moment to plug two things. I'm not getting paid to plug these things, but I think they're important resources for folks to know about. The first mm -hmm. is a website called peer, the number two, peer-to-peer.live. -to -peer mm -hmm. 
It was mm-hmm. created by Trans Lifeline. I could be wrong, but it's created by a trans nonprofit. And the whole point of it is to improve the the visibility and searchability, discoverability, that's the word I was looking for, mm-hmm. of people with different identities. I found, when I was looking to raid at one o'clock today, I found 10 non-binary neurodivergent streamers who had closed captions who were live right then because they're all in that directory and there's all the other ones that are not live are also listed in there and so if you are a streamer and you want to apply it's i think the wait period for that right now is about a week because they have had a lot of people apply and they're still they vet all of the people who apply so it's not just a Mm -hmm. big dumpster fire of people who don't belong. But it's great because it's not only about gender, it also is about sexuality, disability, neurodiversity, religious related identities. For example, if you're Muslim, I don't think there is a Muslim tag on Twitch. And so all of these tags we wish existed on Twitch, an outside entity has just created a resource that the community has been needing and asking for years. And so that's one way. So if you, if a person were to pop in there and look under trans and look for anyone streaming in the traditional art category, what are some other maybe categories you might look for queer artists or trans artists? Yeah, LGBT is absolutely one. Digital art, traditional art. There aren't a lot of LGBT tags is the unfortunate thing. Right, Um, yeah. I was thinking more of the, the art tags. Yeah, digital art, traditional art, painting. There's, I believe there's one for inking as well, or like comics. There's one for animation. I know that. As far as art goes, I think there are ones specific to mediums like watercolor and oil and and things like that. But the ones I mainly go for are like digital art or traditional art, painting, because that kind of encompasses what I do a little bit with with more of a broader stroke. Yeah. Pun intended. Printmaking ceramics, yeah. No. I'm very, puns are my jam. What can I say? Okay, the other resource that I want to mention, besides my own, like, Discord and community, is there is Uh a Discord called the Trans Community Center. And Uh there's over 4,000 members in there. There's a very intentional vetting process. So once more, it's not just everybody who can get in. You have to be trans and you have to answer questions. And you have to be educated enough about trans to be able to answer certain questions. And that is for the safety of the community. There is a a section in that server, in addition to being able to talk with people about identities or about the coming out process and the different ways that a person can come out, where there's actually content creators that are highlighted in there. And those content creators get access to a pingable role. So like today, when we were going live, I was able to ping the socialite role and let 200 people who were active on Discord right then who are somehow trans-identified know that this talk show is happening. And I feel really blessed and lucky that I'm one of the four content creators in there. As far as I know, I'm the only trans-masculine one, so that's Mm -hmm. cool. But that's another sort of way to find each other, is in that community center talking to each other. I love it. Are there any other resources that you would recommend for non-binary or trans individuals or allies? Honestly, like... Outside of the getting to trans-focused, like, clinics and things as far as, like, getting into hormones, as far as social media is concerned, I don't know about a whole lot. I do, there is one server that I do know on Discord that is, oh God, what is it called? I have it down here. It's called Queer Women Game, and it is essentially queer, and I, uh, women, trans women, obviously included, and I believe non-binary people included as well, but I'm unsure. I'd have to check that. That is centered around primarily queer women who play video games on the internet. Is there anything else I would 
plug specifically. Like a lot of the the queer networking that I've done has been in individual people's discords, um, mm-hmm. meeting a lot of queer people. I'm friends with, I don't know if you all know Willow on, on Twitch. She's wonderful. I uh, met her uh, a couple months back and we've become pretty decent friends and, and she's super lovely. Um, Is her name just Willow or is it Willow? It's just Willow. Yeah, it's just Willow. And she's, her discord is lovely. And there, there are like quite a few just LGBT focused streamers whose discords I just vibe in sometimes. And that's been the way that I've been networking, at least as far as Twitch goes. A lot of, I, I got on peer to peer recently. And, but yeah, a lot of these resources are, I have also explored similar to the ones that you've mentioned. So awesome. I don't have a lot. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. I just wanted to make sure there was space for that question if you had things you wanted to share yeah, about. Okay. I have at least three questions left. Yeah. Let's see. This next one says, what would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary slash trans issues? Is there any other thing you want to make sure you get to say to our audience um, on those that broad topic that I haven't thought of to ask you? Yeah, I think that there are a couple things. I think just with reference to my personal practice lately, I've been really interested in exploring truth as it pertains to queer identity, which I know sounds very grand and very pretentious. But I think that what's been really interesting in exploring that kind of concept is that I feel like as trans people very often we're asked to, we're asked to define ourselves aggressively, strictly, and be confident in who we are at all times. And in exploring sort of my professional practice, I've had a really nice time trying to come to terms with coexisting truths or coexisting phenomena that may contradict, but also exist in their full authentic forms. Looking at primary source documents and and fables or myths, thinking about, and this is a, a very like surface level accessible like version of this but thinking about how for example we have recorded a history of stonewall but we also have a kind of mythos we've created around that day and how both of those things are allowed to be true they're allowed to exist and they contradict each other and and that's okay and, and they can both be true looking at how there is a lot of science out there that is full of bias present purely by virtue of the of the time of the culture that that may skew certain things in one way or another and that there are people behind that kind of thing and that affects trans people and, and then also thinking about how a lot of myths and legends that are created within communities have a lot of truth and honesty to them and are also just in their whole selves true just a different kind of true and, and, and understanding kind of where those lines blur between each other i think is really intrinsic to my trans identity and understanding how things are allowed to blur and coexist within each other and maybe contradict, maybe rub up against each other, how that kind of conflict and struggle and search for truth, knowing that you're never going to find something that is wholly and intrinsically true is joyful, that there's something really like almost sublime about, about trying to catch this like ephemeral thing and knowing that you're going to keep trying and keep struggling with it and knowing that you're never going to catch it and and being okay and at peace with the fact that you're never going to have a concrete answer for something. I've been really enjoying how that sort of sits within and describes my experience as a trans person and being very just, yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's a solid summation. I think part of why I switched religions partway through seminary Mm -hmm. is because I wanted a religion that was more flexible with truth. Mm -hmm. That was more about learning from your own perspective. Like you are your own connection to the sacred and the divine and there is no intermediary Mm -hmm. who's explaining meaning-making devices to you, Mm -hmm. right? No one is explaining God, higher power, goddess, the universe, etc. to one. And so I love that you, yeah, exploring truth as it pertains to queer identity. So cool. (laughs) Yeah. It's good stuff. I mean, yeah. I think everyone has conflict inside of them and and things that are constantly struggling with and and we're always going to be struggling with that that is what it is to be human is to 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 have those internal turmoils and to not and to be constantly changing to not be static objects and I think that trans identity is just another sort of facet of that where it exists learning to become more comfortable with lines being blurred inside of myself and for there to be contradiction inside who we are is I think and trying to find answers but knowing you're never going to find the answer is really lovely I, I think a lot about how I think a lot about how trans people are asked to provide a litany of and in fact I have a folder in my computer dedicated to it's called cis people shut up no offense <laughs> in the chat absolutely not it's just it's like it's a getting hilarious folder name i love it <laughs> it's yeah it's just it's a lot of scientific articles academic papers screenshots of twitter threads just a lot of documentation that i can just send to people when they start to get just present like a ninth grade version of biology to me and i'm like okay no stop here this now quiet leave me alone and like a lot of it I, that I was looking into it has to do with like you know, biological definition of sex and, and thinking about how that actual binary is super unhealthy for cis people and, and how their health with regards to that area is treated and how in reality everyone has something individual to themselves about how that situation is treated and that we use binaries as like a way of oversimplifying really simplifying to the extent of oversimplifying and being really reductive with how we treat people in health and part of the reason that we haven't advanced to using more fluid or just more categories for for certain things is it can be attributed to just society and and that just not being the way things are done yeah yeah and i just think thinking about a lot of things like that has been interesting and enlightening and in in looking at narratives who's controlling the narratives who's saying the things why are they saying the things that they're saying and has had an influence on me looking at like stories and storytelling. Love that. But yeah. I want that folder. <laughs> I mean, I can share it. It's it's pretty hefty at this point, but I can share it. Maybe I can. I know that you don't use the setup that I imagine I could use to distribute the information, but with your consent and we can talk offline about it, maybe I can find a way to share a, a link to a folder with all the things in it. Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cis people shut up folder. I wrote it down in my notes. <laughs> it's such a great name. Okay, so the we're down to our last two questions that I have. And audience, uh-huh. this is your final reminder. If you have anything you'd like to sh- to ask, please post it in the chat. And I or one of the mods audience. put it in our little folder over here. So next question is, can you share a moment of gender euphoria? 
Oh, yeah. There's definitely a couple. I think having had bottom surgery and, and looking in the mirror for the first time, it was it was a moment of gender euphoria without getting... That's probably the most I want to get into that. But I think there have been moments of gender euphoria tied to relationships that I've had. And this is a kind of complicated one because, and one that I, I have a complicated relationship with. My boyfriend is a cisgender heterosexual man and he's wonderful. And I definitely for a long time struggled with the fact that I wasn't sure if his identity validated me in some way. And dealing with that was interesting because I definitely felt some kind of like Euphoria isn't the word, but validation from like someone who fits a, a more normative identity being interested in me, which is a complicated thing to wrestle with internally. But on the flip side of that, I think developing our relationship and feeling comfortable enough with another person, regardless of who they are, to share really intimate details about myself, feel understood, seen, and safe with another person was very euphoric. And that had nothing to do with who, not with who he was, it had everything to do with who he was, but nothing to do with his identity. And that was definitely euphoric. I think a lot of my experiences with euphoria have been around safety, around feeling safe, around feeling comfortable because that's a feeling that I definitely have not had the fortune of experiencing all the time. And I think that thinking about safety and comfortability and just like feeling at home in something, be that a body, be that with a person, be that in a space has been the core of some really euphoric moments. I like that. Yeah. There's, there are trans people of all sorts of ages and states of being in the chat always, but our topic next week is actually, we're going to have someone who like just came out as maybe some flavor of trans, maybe question marks go here. Mm -hmm. Someone who's like definitely identifies as trans and has been out for a couple of months. And my, my wife, Trans Capybara, who's in, I would say mm -hmm. an elder trans, I think she's been on HRT five or six years and has had some mm -hmm. surgeries and stuff. And we're just mm -hmm. going to talk about all of that whole like life stages of trans and what that's all. And so my final question that I have is, are, is there any other advice that you have for newly trans folks? Like folks that are just, their little egg is just hatching. They're just starting to figure this stuff out. What would you want someone who's at the beginning of all of this journey to know uh -huh. as someone who's had some experience? Yeah, absolutely. And while I'm answering this chat, Feel free if you have any other invasive questions for me, any little things you want to ask. I'm right here. Feel free. But advice. I I think my best advice for people who are new to coming out. I've said this earlier in our talk, but be gracious with yourself. Allow yourself the the grace to mature into everything gently. There is no need to rush. Uh, when it comes to hormones, there is definitely, if you are of a certain age, certain incentives there. But when it comes to actually pursuing like social transition, there is there is no rush to, to get everything done all at once. Experiment, go at your own pace and be kind to yourself. 
be kind to yourself. It's very easy to be very hard on yourself during transition, whether that be because the world refers to you or sees you a certain way, because when you look in the mirror, you struggle with what you're people are invalidating or gatekeeping your identity because you don't have certain facets of trans identity that they feel are necessary to qualify. Be kind to yourself. Allow yourself the space to breathe and to take a step back from everything. It can be very intense. It can feel like you're doing everything all at once. And that can be very scary. Perspective is key. Take a step back, take a deep breath, and remember that you're going to be okay and, and that while everything may be happening very quickly, it's one day at a time, it's one year of your life, It's things will happen very quickly and then they'll start to happen slower and, and there's no need to rush. Be kind. I love that. Earlier you were talking about what it felt like starting HRT, the trepidation you had before, and I completely related to all of that. There's a video I made two months ago tomorrow of me applying testosterone for the first time and I'm like I remember the entire like 48 hours leading up to that moment I was completely freaked out I was so scared even though I'd been thinking about starting tea and I've been non-binary and out for four or five years and so I'd already been some flavor of trans and so there there really did feel like something there was like oh I had so many feelings I totally cried so much but the the thing that I think you said that really I think is worth highlighting again is the piece about when you start HRT, you don't just magically change overnight. It's not for, in my case, it's not like I'm going to take testosterone one time and wake up and tomorrow I have an entire beard, right? Like it, it takes time. And if you're just starting out, you can see how it feels in your brain and see if you like the changes that you're starting to experience. And for me, what I really noticed is as I've been on T, it only took about a week or two for me to call my doctor and say, I want to switch from a non-binary dose of T to a like binary trans man dose of mm-hmm. T because my brain felt like it was working better on T. And oh, yeah. at the end yeah. of my day, I notice around 10 p.m., my brain stops working and everything crashes and my energy goes way down. And I think, honestly, it's because the hormones aren't in my body as much as they were at the start of my day when I put it on. And Mm -hmm. so I'm experiencing this sort of peaks and valleys with my energy Mm -hmm. and my ability to brain because of it. So I've had to shift around, like, when in the day am I doing certain tasks? Because my body just, like, Mm -hmm. needs needs the hormones to run on, actually. And so not only is it running better, it's it, it I notice when it's gone. It's like when I sleep without my CPAP machine, I'm like, oh, no, I I definitely did not have that CPAP last night. It's the absence of the thing that is helping me is what really highlights when something is working. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that I definitely noticed that, too. I was very angry and upset as a teenager. I definitely dealt with a lot of like deep seated struggles with emotional stability. And while a lot of that was attributed to outside factors, a lot of it was about being trans. A lot of it was also about past family stuff and whatnot. But starting hormones, I just felt more at peace and mellow and just okay. 
I felt more stable after starting hormones. And that was a really good indicator for me. That was something I wanted to move forward with. So I see a question from the right Casey in chat, and I want to mod modify the question a bit and ask an aspect of it we haven't discussed, which is, mm -hmm. do you have any, as a streamer, do you have any voice dysphoria with your VODs, your replays of your streams? And if so, what do you do to cope with that? Yeah, I definitely do. I definitely feel uncomfortable with my voice on stream, listening back to VODs and clips makes me uncomfortable. I do it because it's important and uh, to do the work that we're doing. The clips are important, the VODs are important. Uh, I will just now and then delete a VOD if I was particularly uncomfortable with how I was looking or sounding that day. Mm -hmm. uh, and I reserve that <laughs> to be well within my rights if I want to just get rid of a VOD uh, to do it. But there was one like like a week or two ago that I was just like, I don't like this. I don't feel comfortable with anything about this. And I just got rid of it. But I think it hasn't gotten easier, the listening to your voice and, and everything. However, I have learned to tune it out more and to tune out like my discomfort with everything and just put it on the back burner because, you know, I know that that's a lot of internalized stuff. And I'm at a point where I'm pretty aware that I, I sound or can approximate uh, a voice that makes me feel comfortable when I'm speaking and that that gets me treated and referred to the way that I want to be treated and referred to. So I know a lot of the dysphoria stuff is in my head. Obviously all of it is, but I know from other cues that I'm at a place that I'm comfortable with. So I just try to tune that stuff out as best I can. Yeah. We have a fluffy question, but I wanted to respond a little bit to what you said first and share that from a purely like platonic aesthetic appreciation place, mm -hmm. the first time my wife and I, the first time Trans Capybara, my wife ever saw you on stream, I was like, Gum's a trans woman. And she was like, no. And I was like, yeah, totally. She totally is. She was like, what the fuck? No way. And I was like, yeah. She's like, wow. <laughs> So we like sat there and talked about how your aesthetic is totally like transition goals. There are just, you maybe already know this, but there are trans people in the world who look to you and say, oh my goodness, that's possible. I also can look this glamorous and wonderful. And that's really cool. And I know that for me, like the dysphoria monster in my head, sometimes I can hear that and it just doesn't sink in at all. This will be recorded if you want to listen to it again later. But just so you know, like there are totally people in the community who look to you and say, wow, transition goals right there. Oh my goodness. So cool. No, and that, that is wonderful to hear. And it's wonderful to hear that, that people that could make someone more comfortable with themselves and with, with their own transition. I think it's important to stress the fact that everyone's journey is different and that the idea of passing itself is a really toxic one. And I get how tough it is to distance yourself from that because it's something I struggle with and, and worry about. I'd be absolutely lying if I said that I didn't worry about passing or not passing as a trans woman. It's just something that I stress about, but it's also not healthy. It's it's the societal expectation for trans people to just fade into the background and, and appear as though they are not. Yeah. Is, is even though a yeah, person isn't. It, yeah that's violence against the community that's it's it's important to make sure the goals that you have and that, that are set are, are for reducing your own dysphoria and feeling euphoria with yourself mm -hmm. and and 
as best you can divorce that from societal expectation, which I know is not always possible or easy, but you owe that to yourself to try because it is. It can be really unhealthy. For me, as a non-binary identified person, I that's something I wrestle with all the time, the passing or the not passing. And I think what you say about you need to be doing whatever the trans thing is that you're doing or the non-binary thing you're doing is for you and not for society. And for me, it has felt really important to stake claim to the non-binary identity and hold space for that specifically. Mm -hmm. That's why the overlay is the non-binary flag and not the trans flag. Mm -hmm. Non-binary is a flavor of trans, but I think mm -hmm. more examples of people holding that, I will not, like, neither the men's nor the women's bathroom is for me, space. It feels really important to me. It's there personally, I feel like there is a lot of mostly cis pressure for uh -huh. trans people to be on the binary because it makes it easier for them. I've talked about this in other streams, but it's it feels like the only way we're gonna get to the point where these this third non-binary option exists, or better yet, uh -huh. we move on into a gender abolition space where gender isn't a thing right maybe we have gender expression but like the, it's it's not mm -hmm. a, because the, the binary so much pushes people into systems of oppression that are based on the patriarchy and all of that and if you want to hear more about that we had a whole probably multi-hour conversation about that with Joe's and star it's the third episode of this show but yeah it's i don't know it feels important to me to hold space in the non-binary identity. Like, even if there comes a point where I pass as a trans man or as a man, there's something about it that just really feels important to me to to stay in this space, especially for the people coming behind me who need the non-binary mm -hmm. identity to exist and to have non-binary elders, too. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Yeah. We have another question from Hexagonal. Mm -hmm. Again, feel free not to answer. It's a tough personal question. Do you deal with thoughts of holding yourself to an unrealistic body standard? How do you deal with these thoughts, especially as technology evolves? It's a difficult one, and I'm not going to pretend I'm even particularly good at it. I definitely hold myself to unrealistic body standards. I've struggled with body image for most of my life. I think that having a good support system is always key. I think just again, to stress the importance of perspective and the ways that you can find perspective, be that from people around you to just give you positive affirmations or a therapist or any number of ways to just not stay in your own head. I think as someone who's dealt with a lot of different mental illness struggles for, for the majority of her life, I um, I find that if I'm not careful, I can just stay inside all day, stay inside my own head and just spiral. And that getting outside even, going for a walk, being around friends and family, getting getting a hot meal, like just self-care things, taking a shower, like just there are things and, and that are very difficult to do. And I know that, oh, you won't be depressed if you just drink water, obviously, or do yoga. That's not a, that's not a thing. But taking care of yourself as far as self-care goes be just being around other people even if you're able to do that can give you a little bit of distance and perspective to have the focus be less just on you and only you and you're the only thing you're paying attention to and i think that's probably my best advice for that because i definitely do struggle with body image issues all the time but yeah you know i think that dysphoria can be such a like 
such a heavy weight on a person's shoulders. And one one thing that we say in one of the communities that I'm in is one way to improve your self-esteem is to do esteemable things. And once, at least for me, once I've done everything that day I can do for my transition goals, whatever they are, like I put my minoxidil on my face so I get my little beard growth going on and I take my HRT workout if I mm-hmm. have the spoons and resourcedness to do that. Just doing esteemable things, being of service to other people, being in community. Like I don't have to be focused on and thinking about my body all the time, but that also doesn't mean I have to numb out and check out and be completely unavailable to my own experience the rest of the time. (laughs) Yeah. I absolutely. That's a wonderful addition. All right. I'm trying to see if there's more questions. Here's a fluffy one. What are some of your favorite books? Yeah. Even just one or two. Oh God, I can, I want to pull them out, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to get up and do that. I'm reading uh, Native Son by Richard Wright, which is wonderful, currently very intense, but wonderful, very needed. Kafka on the Shore, Kafka on the Shore by Murakami is a wonderful narrative with trans representation, decent trans representation, not stellar, but definitely decent. And Murakami is a, a gorgeous writer. So I would definitely definitely recommend that as far as books go oh gosh there's just so many between the world and me by taneshi coates tale for the time being by ruth ozeki under the glacier by haldor laxness a lot of these are fiction which is a lot of what i read i i I figure it's best not to go listing academic resources and articles although I, i don't read a lot of strictly like nonfiction books so that's, I do read a lot of poetry. If you're interested in poetry, Translating Moam by Kathy Park Hong, wonderful book. Uh, book of Frank, actually, if we're talking about trans artists, C.A. Conrad is a non-binary poet and they the Book of Frank is a raunchy, definitely um, intense and uncensored, really wonderful, vile piece of literature. Oh God, what else is there? I love Kurt Vonnegut. I, re- I reread Dante's Inferno recently, which honestly is a blast. What a wild ride. What an insane acid trip of a book. Note the, the notes of a native son that James Baldwin did uh, that is adjacent to Native Son by Richard Wright. James Baldwin, wonderful. That's also lovely. The Souls of Black Folk by uh, Du Bois, classic. To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf. If you're interested in some fun fiction, the Bartimaeus trilogy by... Who is that even by? Jonathan Stroud. I read when I was a lot younger and really enjoyed uh, a really strange fantasy world. Is that the one with all the the numbers with the stuff at the bottom? There's a name for this. Yeah, the footnotes. Yeah, Yeah. the footnotes were Mm -hmm. such an interesting part of that book. Yeah. You totally got to read the footnotes. (laughs) No, it's a lovely, it's a very fun trilogy. It is. Yeah, that, that's a solid list of, of media. I have another list open if it wasn't apparent of just media that I care about. And I'm just going through the book section right now. Awesome. We've had questions about Dungeons and Dragons come up a couple of times, and I would actually prefer mm-hmm. to not talk about it because I don't want a platform for a an organization that has not only racist writing, but their editing practices even recently have been really oppressive to indigenous mixed race people of color. I've seen the, I've seen the D question happen two or three times and I keep deleting it from my list of things because they're not great. But are there any other tabletop games 
that are not D&D that you have any thoughts or opinions about? I have plenty if you don't, but I just thought I'd ask you first since you're the guest. But I will say, not talking about D&D per se, but about tabletop shows, some of which do play D&D, unfortunately, but that I deeply enjoy. I think I've been listening to not another D&D podcast lately, which mm-hmm. I think is wonderful. Dimension 20, a lot of the things Brendan Lee Mulligan does, I really enjoy. There are a lot of cool D&D projects out there and tabletop projects out there that I think are wonderful. And I, I do that Dementia 20 has strayed a little bit further away from, uh, has been more open to playing other systems, other kind of, of, of gameplay. And then I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear some of your suggestions though. I know this is your thing. So I'd, I'd love to hear, I'd love um, to hear your suggestions. Well, I have a book here. I, so the system we're using for our recent actual play is called Thirsty Sword Lesbians which is written by a trans woman lawyer and co-authored by five people of color. And it's all about relationships. It's all about April Kit Walsh is the, the trans woman primary author. It's all about, it's not so, it's not so much about fighting. It's about relationships and moods and the way that the complexity of being in love like there's a whole dynamic around declaring your love for someone you get like bonus Uh points but then there's all the other stuff and it's a very it's a very cool system and that's what we've been doing for rainbow hyperdrive which is our it's the second show with that cast it's technically the third actual play that i've streamed that Uh particular game is on hiatus indefinitely because the gm needed some downtime Uh and refocus time so thirsty lesbians is a great system for that there's another system i actually have the email about it in my phone right now that i help to crowdfund where's that awesome. thing it's called wander home it's written by another i believe non-binary person there's a lot of non-binary pals in independent like tabletop oh. role-playing game stuff like hang out and you'll meet all kinds of people in the discord and what have you actually in a couple weeks when is that happening is it the 28th no 21st i think it's the 21st nope that's the oh. wrong month oh my god Okay, in a week and a half, <laughs> two Wednesdays from now, we're going to have someone run a GMless one shot with a system that they wrote, and the person is, I think, a trans man from Australia. Let me see if I can find the name of the system. But part of what we do here on Wednesdays is we try to highlight some of those games that are not Dungeons and Dragons that are mm-hmm. cool. You know, that they think about race and racism, that think about these other mm-hmm. pieces. It looks like the system is called Green Hollow. And it's by Amble Studios. And so Logan is going to be running, not running because it's a GMless game, but will be facilitating the explanation of the rules. And then we will all have an adventure and who knows what will happen. So one other person I can recommend that is still getting their stuff together is Alex the DM 89. Alex is a non-binary person who super loves some of the more spookier stuff like dark fantasy i would say is their category and alex has a whole like tabletop twitter that's getting developed and all this other stuff and i just don't they're in the middle of moving right now so i just don't know if they have it all together but alex the dm 89 on twitter is another Mm -hmm. person to go check out alex is also often in the twitch chat here during the daytime streams from 11 to 2 pacific so Uh if you want to interact with alex directly that's an opportunity alex does a lot of vampire the masquerade and stuff with a lot of deep politics and has just done incredible character creation stuff for that game is doing some podcasts with nikki beholder to no one and 
Also, I've heard some really great Delta Green one-shots and has a bunch of other stuff in the making. I would say in general with tabletop, if you can move away from any systems that give bonuses based on race, that's a really good place to start. Yeah, that's fair. But I also think one thing that I really liked about, to circle back to Thirsty Sword Lesbians, one thing I really liked about Thirsty Sword Lesbians, and I'm not paid to promote them at all, is there there aren't even, there, there aren't races. Like there's not even species to pick from. It's like you can literally uh -huh. make anything up out of your brain. And so one of the people in the game, Mirami, who's here in the chat, is a, a giant space amoeba. And Heck so yeah. then the, the GM, who's also a, a trans artist of color, Agnostic Trek, is one of their handles. There's another one that has to do with Barnaby, I think, on TikTok. That's Barnaby, maybe. So Agnostic Trek runs the show and does the art for the show, which is, that's a lot of responsibility for one person. But yeah, there's the giant space amoeba. I'm playing like a cat person. There's someone playing a human being. There's someone playing like a space alien with a mouth that does this and does like princess transformation, like Sailor Moon style stuff. Oh. And it's just, it's totally make up your own stuff, but no one gets like racial bonuses or whatever. And yeah. I'm finding as my relationship to tabletop games evolves, I'm more interested in more expansive rules light type systems where we can just uh -huh. be silly and do puns and be anything we can think up and not be locked into this other stuff. But rules light systems usually only sells one thing. For the big corporate tabletop is the thing I make money on entities. It doesn't make sense for them to do that because what are yeah. they going to do next? Write another system? <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. I've noticed people playing like cyberpunk, not 2077, yeah. but like playing cyberpunk even just because, yeah. yeah. Just Ooh, trying Mirami, to find other systems. Mirami mentions, if you like crunchier systems, Fate and Cypher are both good system agnostic, setting agnostic games. We actually, yeah, good. we stopped streaming our persistent campaign for two or three months because we were doing mm -hmm. research on all of this stuff. It was mm -hmm. like, D&D is racist. We're going to stop doing D&D because the people of color in the group have said, can we stop doing D&D? And so we, we were like, absolutely, yes. We're going to full stop mm -hmm. on that and reassessed. And it took time. So we're in the we're in the process of potentially developing another show that uses the Cypher awesome. system. We're playtesting it right now, but it's a very cool setting created by Mirami, which is rad. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Fun. That's, I don't know, mm -hmm. that's probably six months or a year away from being a thing anyone can view. But yeah. Blah, blah, tabletop, special interest, ADHD, autism, brain goes, Wee! Oh, tabletop's <laughs> amazing. I love it. I love listening to this. Especially as someone who, like, I've played tabletop games primarily D&D, and I've definitely also noticed similar things, but I, I haven't been as immersed into the world to, to know about all of these cool systems. So I think what you're doing talking about all this stuff is wonderful. I, I, I think that it's providing other options where clearly some of the stuff is stuff you had to hunt for because it just wasn't. Yeah visible and for, for as someone who was very much interested in a lot of this stuff but didn't maybe have the time to do like I, I was putting in work in so many other different spaces and contexts that the this particular area was not as developed i think what you're doing is creating a resource that's wonderful i, I really appreciate that it's been interesting because honestly i haven't had the courage to gm which is a pun because gender master and also game master. I haven't yeah. had the courage to to run one of these systems on stream. And part of that is because it's so much to produce and recruit players and keep track of people mm. and do all of these other pieces. I just haven't, I haven't tried to also, in addition, go learn a new or several new systems. The exception yeah. is I really one page one shots because mm -hmm. literally you can show up knowing nothing, look at the paper together and be like, okay, let's do the thing. Yeah. 
And so Absolutely. I, as someone with ADHD, I find one page one shots to be incredibly accessible and therefore uh-huh. important to keep around. So there are a number of creators doing one page one shots. I don't know if any of them are trans or non-binary, but if I find someone who is both non-binary slash trans and making a one page one shot once a month, I will definitely subscribe to them on Patreon and play all their stuff on my stream with their consent and have a good old time. Just to reaffirm for anyone who's hanging out in chat, all of the notes with all these lists and things to the best of my ability will be in the description of the VOD on YouTube. So if you want to take a moment now to go sub on YouTube so you can see it later, YouTube, how do I spell words? Hopefully that link works. It's not the one in my socials link here should. The link tree link definitely works. A lot of the individual timers and things aren't updated yet. So yeah, let's see. We had one more question also from Sleeps on Ictishonic Titan. Sleep Sonic Titan. There we go. Three words. Sleep's a mod in my chat. Love sleep. Awesome. Another question is, how do you personally separate gender as an internal identity from an outside identity that people place on you? Because it seems like those things overlap. Let me read that through again. How do you personally separate gender as an internal identity from an outside identity that people place on you? Because it seems like those things overlap somewhat. They do. And I think a lot of the stuff I've been interested in lately is is in the fact that there is a lot of There's a lot of blurring. There's a lot of just general, like, messiness in identity. There always will be. Things are never as clear cut as I am just, I am X, I am Y, I am Z, like reading through your little, like, thing, which is very helpful. It it can be very helpful, but there's always going to be internally some mess. It just comes with the territory. It's never going to be as simple as you want it to be because of any number, honestly, because of, of... colonialism because of there there are any number of reasons why just localized identities are never going to be the end all and be all of how you define yourself they're extraordinarily useful for any number of reasons but they can never be by virtue of even the limits of language they can never be representative of the whole that is your identity the the unit and I guess separating how I view myself internally from how the world views me, the short answer of that is that I let the world, whatever the general populace, view me as either a cis girl or a trans girl, full stop. I, I don't really try with when it comes to just like how I move through the world. When it comes through how I present online, I definitely identify with being trans that is something i put very front and forward trying to create spaces in that world when it comes through how i move through the art world or in spaces that i am closer and comfortable in i project myself as the trans person that i am i view myself internally i try not to let being trans define myself internally it's something that i very much care about talking about it's something i'm very passionate about it's something that affects me and many of the people that i love trans issues trans liberation however it is not, nor will it ever be the whole that is the whole of myself. And I, I wouldn't want it to be. And I think creating internally a lack of labels has been really freeing just specifically for how I look and see myself and just allowing me to just be myself without borders, without structure has been really helpful in that regard. 
Yeah. Love that answer. Yeah. My answer is very simple. Basically, I feel like my gender identity, which is inward facing and my gender presentation are two separate things. But yeah, I feel like I agree with Trans Capybara. You have said it very eloquently and I don't feel like I need to add too much to it. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm wanting to wrap up. I'm noticing we've been live Uh for about two hours and just, is there anything you want to plug? Where can we find you? How can we support you? You've mentioned both uh, Twitch and Twitter, but just in case anyone's rolled in since you were here last, a little more networking with each other and see what you're, are you doing an art stream today? Is that what you said? Uh, I'm probably going to, when we all show up, I think I'm going to go through some of my like work because I know there's some people who are interested in seeing some of the professional work that I do. So I'll be sharing some of that probably for about half an hour. And then I think I'm going to, I'm going to have some community stuff going on. I'm probably going to play like Gartic Phone, which is a fun drawing telephone type game. I may continue doing art after that, but I definitely want to hang out with my community and play some games with everyone, Uh, (laughs) play some games with everyone and just invite everyone in to hang out. And as far as plugs, yeah, Gumhaven on Twitch, Gumshaven on Twitter, and beyond that, not a whole lot. I'm I oh I am Gumrose on Tumblr. I've had a Tumblr for ten years, uh, and I am never leaving that hell site. So if you want to follow me there, you are more than welcome to. So the other thing is, these people are opening up about their lives in a very personal, intimate part of themselves. And so part of what we're doing in gratitude for that is it's also a fundraiser for one of one of the three of them. Elle is a trans person who wants to have some gender confirmation surgery stuff. And so the initial goal was about $8,000 to possibly get like a breast implants, but we have already hit that goal. And so what actually makes more sense for Elle is to have facial feminization surgery, which is something that Gum very briefly mentioned and the FFS is about 13 grand which is a lot trans surgeries are always a lot and especially in the United States our healthcare system is not robust enough to take care of us when we need these very vital things can you imagine if you had to pay this much money for vaccinations for the thing that's happening Uh, like it's just wild to me this L is also someone who has pretty consistently and from the beginning contributed to this community to the discord server spent countless hours uh, training the administrative team in how to create and run a discord server so if you have enjoyed the discord if it has been a space that you have found healing that you have found a way to learn more about your own identity etc this person who has contributed to all of this for fun and for free right no compensation would really appreciate some support 